Welcome to Catch Outdoors. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. Contact email is catchoutdoors at gmail.com. My website is catchoutdoors.com. And my Facebook page is, you guessed it, Catch Outdoors. Catch Outdoors presented by Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. Got a couple of books available on Amazon Kindle. Bridge to Paradise, that's a book of short stories. Some of my travel writing over the past 15 to 20 years or so. And what I know about fishing Southwest Florida, labeled by readers as the book about fishing the salt along Southwest Florida's coast. Book three is in the works. First thing I'm going to do before we get into the bulk of the podcast is reintroduce myself. Because of a big shift from freelance podcasting, as I call it, to a more national podcasting, <laughs> I've been asked to join the Waypoint Podcast Network and really, really happy to be here. Um, it's big, and I've personally admired Waypoint TV for quite some time. Uh, they broadcast one of my favorite fishing shows, Saltwater Experience with Tom Rowland. My podcast, however, is a rarity in the world of podcasts. Um, it's generally just me, myself, and, and I on the mic, so it's not really an interview show. My, my thoughts were that there are just lots of those out there, some really good ones that I enjoy listening to, some right here on Waypoint. And all I'd be doing is perhaps re-interviewing some of the same folks that have already been talked to. So, and I'm speaking from quite a bit of experience here. Um, I hosted a live call-in radio show on the local Fort Myers, Florida ESPN network for 11 years, and it was entirely guest host-oriented with at least one guest in the room with me and sometimes two in the studio. So um, it made doing the three-hour show a whole lot easier, I'll tell you that, because of the conversation that you have between um, yourself and guest. And... Um, it was more regulated that way without much room for, you know, steering the, the big old ship in a new direction during those three hours. So it was, you know, subject oriented and, and there we were, I mean, there was some fun and games in between, of course, we had to cover three hours. <laughs> uh, so when I decided to throw myself into a podcast, I more or less decided very early on, I was going to make it a one-man show about all things outdoors in the state of Florida. Now, that doesn't mean I wouldn't have an interview or two thrown in. That, that's already happened in the past. If you go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes I have. Uh, but, but the one-man show thing I like, and, and I like doing instructional type stuff, suggestions, where to go, what to do, stuff like that. So today's episode's number 36. Uh, welcome to Catch you Outdoors on the Waypoint Podcast Network for lack of a better title. <laughs> first, a quick background about me for listeners that are joining. Catch you outdoors for the first time. I was born up in Virginia way back when. I arrived as a kid in Clearwater, Florida in the late 50s. I was about five years old when my family moved there. My brother and sister were also steeped in the traditions of beaches, boats, and the great outdoors were there with me, of course. My brother is a licensed boat captain, also a charter pilot. My sister and her husband recently purchased the Grand Banks trawler and are setting out on a two-year adventure as liveaboards. So to say we're all ate up by outdoors and water and salt and, you know, yep, we are. I spent time in the U.S. Coast Guard. I lived in Kentucky for a while where I learned to freshwater fish. How about that? 
don't do a lot of that in Florida when you grow up on the coast. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the beach is the beach, and going over to Okeechobee was a trip, but I really didn't do a lot of freshwater fishing as a kid. I did a whole lot of saltwater fishing, though. And uh, I know that's, hey, that's okay. I discovered freshwater fishing in Kentucky, and turns out it's really, really a lot of fun to freshwater fish in a lot of other places. And, of course, the podcast will be talking about that. After an early career in technology, I eventually got my uh, charter captain's license. Worked my way up to 100 ton, as the guys like to call it. 100 ton license just means you can move around really, really big boats, um, as opposed to the six-pack, which I started with. During my charter life, which started in the Upper Keys, I later based myself out of Fort Myers Beach. I also taught fishing classes, did the usual run of seminars. And as mentioned earlier uh, in the podcast, I landed on the radio. A couple of years ago, my lovely wife, an expert fisher person, got a job in Fort Lauderdale. So we returned to the East Coast. I then retired and got bored. <laughs> Those of you that are retired completely understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I wrote two books during that time, though, what I call the time of the great pandemic. And then while mentioning my boredom to my former radio producer, Rick, he said, you know, well, do a podcast. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, you got all the equipment at home. You know, you got a wealth of outdoor experience, a wealth of outdoor information. Do a podcast about what you did on the radio. So here we are, folks. Welcome to Catch You Outdoors. Okay, let's get into some information. Let's. This is what you came here for. So this is what my previous listeners and all other listeners have come here for is info. And so I thought today, and there's a whole bunch of things I really want to talk about. I'm going to do some bits and pieces today. Um, and then uh, on next week's podcast, we'll, we'll center around a subject and stick to it. So or more, more, I'm known to wander. So um, recently returned from the Keys. Uh, we were down there over the last four or five days, and uh, boy, is that fun. I love being down there. We managed to hit the weather right. At this speaking, there's a tropical tropical nonsense building up out there, and so uh, we, we got home before that mess gets here. So, uh, But we were down there, my wife's birthday. We had a big, we had a big birthday celebration uh, down in Isla Mirada. And that's one of our favorite spots. We spent a great deal of time there in the 90s uh, when I lived over here on the uh, on the East Coast back then. Met her in the Keys, and uh, we spent a great deal of time fishing Isla Mirada. Kept a boat in Isla Mirada and worked Florida Bay. It was a skiff, flat skiff. We worked uh, Florida Bay, and we've had some amazing experiences in that area. Um, I would have to say, uh, I mean, Isla Mirada has labeled itself as the fishing capital of the world. I agree. I mean, I've been to other world places and fished, but um, it's pretty hard to beat Isla Mirada. Uh, one side is Atlantic Ocean, the other side is Florida Bay, and you pretty much have your choice based on weather, size of your boat, and what you want to hit for fish. Um, so it's it, it truly is an amazing place. Um, on the calm days, you'll see the sport fishermen heading out and the flats boats heading out toward the Atlantic. Uh, a lot of times flats guys are looking for um, Atlantic tarpon the big boys, and they'll also be trolling up, you know, dolphin and a lot of other things over there. Uh, the sport guys, of course, will go out a whole lot deeper, go out toward the hump or toward the edges, uh, drop-offs, trolling for wahoo, things like that. On the messier days, the big boys can still go out in the um, in the sport fish world, depending on if their customer has the stomach for it. 
but on the inside, that's that kind of takes over when it gets a little breezy. There's so many places you can hide uh, when you get back on Florida Bay. Some of the open water is a little tricky, but once you get back in the back, it's it's a I love it. And personally, it's one of my absolute. I mean, I grew up on the West Coast. Understand? Grew up in Clearwater, fished Fort Myers for years, Sanibel, Captiva, North Cap, the Everglades. But honestly, it just. I just, it's hard for me not to like Florida Bay, the, 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 the southern end of it, down by La Mirada, crystal clear waters where you can search for permit and bonefish, tarpon, and as you move up, the water gets a little more color to it as you get up in the bay because it's more affected by the Gulf of Mexico, and so you have this, this tidal water that's got a little greenness to it, a little color, and up there are huge snook, huge tarpon. Um, a great deal of permit. You get up into the triple tail area, I call it, where the triple tails start to show up. It's just, I don't know, it's just a phenomenal, it's a big fishery too. I mean, we're talking miles of water. Um, and it takes quite a while to learn it. But um, you're going to go get you a good guide out of Alamorada and, and go fishing. I mean, it's great fun. Uh, we had some great eating. <laughs> I'm going to bring this all up in later podcasts. I've decided I'm going to put them. Actually, my wife decided you really ought to do something about uh, eateries in the Keys, tackle shops, perhaps, things like that. And so we're going to get into that. But, boy, we had some great meals. Uh, down on Cujo, there's this favorite place among almost all Keys people um, called the Square Grouper. If you don't know what a square grouper is, <laughs> look it up. Now, it's it's a reference to the old smuggling days of pot and you know marijuana. Uh, the boats would pack it up. The the, the smugglers packed it up into uh, into big square cubes, if you will. Uh, you know, 25, 30 pounds, fifty pounds, whatever, and wrap it in plastic. And then when they got in trouble, they'd they'd hurl it overboard, and it would float. And in some cases, wind up on the shores of the Florida Keys. And whether or not you decided to say you found one or not was your business. Um, <laughs> you go to jail, of course, but you got caught. But, but anyway, that's where the term square grouper came from. And so this restaurant, Square Grouper, has been down there for a while. It is, it is one of the best. No, it is, in my opinion, it's in the top three. I mean, and there, are, listen, there are hundreds of places to eat in the Keys, but the Square Grouper is all all that and then some um they opened one in Isla Mirada and uh same people uh so basically this you know the same great food tell you a little bit about just just in case you go to Isla Mirada decide you want to hit the square group but they open at five in the afternoon and they're open until 10 I think it is but you probably can't get a table after 8.30 to 9 o'clock. So you go early, and I'm not kidding, you're going to wait an hour and a half. If you're, if you're one of the first people there and you manage to get seated, you're really lucky after that, hour to an hour and a half. However, they've put a bar upstairs that you can go up there and sit and wait at, which was a great idea. Um, so anyway, I've never had a dish, uh, like a bad dish at the Square Grouper. Um, the last night we were there, we were there with a bunch of friends, and we... Uh, Somebody, somebody out in the Atlantic Ocean caught fresh wahoo, um, and that was on the menu. Yep, fresh grilled wahoo. Oh, my goodness, that was good. So there you go. I'll give you a spot, but we'll do a whole lot more about restaurants and places to visit in, in the Keys at a little bit later time. Let's talk rods and reels, <laughs> bull spin fly, and lots of other stuff. The reason I'm going in this direction on this one, because of the Keys visit, um, I hauled some equipment down. I had uh, standard spin gear, and I had my fly gear with me. 
Um, my wife is insisting on a fly casting lesson, so I wanted to make sure that was covered. Um, she just, she's, <laughs> I'm not going to say she just started. She got in this, this fly fishing thing a couple few years ago and just work got in the way. The things get in the way. I, I, you, you all know how it is. Things just get in the way. And then finally we decide I'm going to buckle down. And it's probably after a couple of weeks ago, I landed two tarpon on fly and she was there to witness that. And I think that pretty much did it. She's like, I, I have really got to figure out how to experience this and get into this. And I said, well, let's, let's buckle down. You got, you know, you I bought you a great fly rod a couple of years ago. Let's, let's get it going. So we did. And, um, while they were there, I had friends there, of course, for her birthday party. And there were a lot of people that I knew there. And, and a lot of them would hit me up for that kind of information. And one of the things that kept popping up, because we'd go out and fish along the um, shoreline of the Atlantic at the at the resort. And we would also do the the pier that they had and stuff like that, you know. And and I, I and, and the big question it always, it wasn't so much like, like what do you use? Pe- people down there are either artificial users and they have a lot of their favorite stuff. Or they throw shrimp. Uh, cut baits, things like that, especially if you're shore fishing. Uh, no telling what you're going to get. Mostly kudas, <laughs> a few small sharks, but every now and then you're going to pick up a mangrove snapper or something like that that's close to one of the docks or pilings. And there, of course, there's a host of other, I call it weirdness. Um, the, it, the, the Keys water is amazing as far as the, the type of species that it holds. But rods, it, that was something that I always got hit. I got hit with that way back when. When I first started guiding, people would ask. That's one of the first questions. And it usually came from someone who was on the boat who had fished quite a while. And they pick up one of my rods and fish. And, they're, and they're, within four or five casts, they're like, what, what is this? And they, they suddenly realize that there's a difference. And I honestly think that most folks out there don't really understand that that you know, rods and reels are, are, all of them are radically different. I mean, they have one job, let's put it that way. Reels, reel in line. <laughs> and a rod fights a fish or cast, you know, depending on how you look at it. But for all intents and purposes, most people view a fishing rod as just a fishing rod, not something that may have size or shape or differences in the way it feels or tip action or, you know, how many guides it has on it? What is the handle made of? Things like that. It just it it tends to escape them. So I thought I so I thought I'd get more into that, and then of course we're going to cover reels too. Now while I'm going to mention manufacturers every now and then, this is I'm not, I'm not trying to say you need to go out and buy so and so's rod. I want you to try them. Okay, I want you to mess with them. Um, picking a rod up in the store and just kind of looking at it ain't going to get there. Um, if you do happen to go fishing with somebody, a friend, a guide, you know, use the equipment. You ask to use their rod and get a feel for what's out there. When you're purchasing in a store, if you can at all, and they have the access or space for you to try it, try it. You know, sometimes they'll take you out in the parking lot. Sometimes take you out back and let you throw a couple times with it. Stick a reel on it with some line on it. See what it feels like. Um, I can give you the ones that I've used and the ones that I like, but. You know, it's more more your choice of what you're going to pick up or what you're going to get and what makes you happy. Um, I really, uh, I'm a, okay, in the saltwater fishing world, whether it's West Coast or East Coast, and if you're fishing inshore, um, so let's just say inshore waters, we're, we're not sitting on the Gulf of Mexico, we're not sitting on the Atlantic Ocean. Typically, a seven-foot rod is a great length. 
there are obviously six sixes, six nines, <laughs> seven twos. The manufacturer sometimes will just have a blank that's a little longer or a little shorter, but somewhere around seven feet is where I personally like to be, and a lot of other anglers try to hit that number. You'll find that that's a very popular size when you go shopping for saltwater equipment. Um, and freshwater. I use the same size in fresh when I'm using, especially with a spinning rod. I like seven foot. I like something that's got a nice, fast tip on it. Uh, so in other words, I look for fast action on the on the blank. It'll usually be written right on the rod blank. Um, and I use a medium heavy. Now, don't let medium heavy throw you. Make it sound like, ooh, that's that's too big a stick. That's It's not. Um, light or medium in Florida, especially fishing backcountry, is um, probably not a good idea. <laughs> because... Well, it's great if you're catching mangrove snapper out of the roots or you're working some flounder on bottom or sea trout, you know. It, but boy, when you hook that first snook that's over 35 inches, you're going to have your hands full. And he's probably going to win. <laughs> so going up to that seven foot gives you just a little extra bend on the rod and a little extra strength with the medium heavy combination. So don't be afraid to go medium heavy. And there are a lot of manufacturers out there that make quality medium heavy rods with a lot of backbone in them. And that's what you're going to need to fight a big fish. I, when I speak big in the backcountry, I'm talking big redfish and big snook. Um, they'll, they'll put it to the test. And the accidental tarpon that you're bound to hook during seasons, uh, like now. You know, you get into late May, June, July in the backcountry of, of West Coast Florida. It's not unusual to get an accidental tarpon back there. So I'll go with that. Something else that I find extremely important are the um, guides on a rod. Those little round things. <laughs> For those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, the, the ferrules, okay? The things that guides the line from the reel to the tip of the rod. Crazy important. Crazy important to fighting a fish. And on inexpensive rods, you're going to find there's five of them, maybe four in some cases, which is absolutely detrimental. <laughs> but that keeps the price of the rod down because let me tell you what, it's one of the most expensive parts of a, of a fishing rod are the, are the ferrules, the, the guides. Um, I like seven, you know, but you, but I've seen nine, you know, so what I'm counting from the very first gatherer, the gatherer feral, the first one, the first guy down by the reel, all the way up to the, to the tip, um, seven to nine. The reason for this is the rod's going to have a much nicer bend in it. When there's a big fish on, you're going to have a nice curve on the rod. You can exert more pressure that way without worrying about the distance between guides that are too far apart, uh, where the rod might break. Uh, so and it it just gives you more control, um, plain and simple. Also in the guides, quality guides. Um, I'm a fan of Fuji. That's they've been around for a long time. They make a quality guide. Um, they make a structure, an internal structure on the guide, which is not like a real fragile glass. Um, it's I'm not really sure what it is. It's much harder, and I know that over time, when you're using like braided line, it'll last a whole lot longer than a more inexpensive or a cheaper. Uh, insert in the guide, so keep that in mind. Um, I, I get back to the fast action part. Look for that on the rod. The reason I like fast and, and or ultra fast or as fast as I can get it is that's what gives you the tip that's real quick. So like the last the last foot and a half of the rod, last 18 inches or so of that rod is really important with big fish. You you want to be able to feel the bite, and you'd be surprised how 
light some bites are, even on, I've had snook just pick up a bait off the bottom if I'm using live shrimp. Redfish the same way, and it's nice to have that little touch, especially when you go after the smaller stuff, like a, like I mentioned, a mangrove snapper. You're looking for dinner. You want mangrove snapper, world's greatest bait stealer. It's nice to have a tip that's really, really quick and really, really responsive so that you can actually feel that bite. Spin versus bait caster. Okay, so a bait casting rod is typically what you would see the guys use when they're going bass fishing. Uh, instead of the reel hanging on the bottom, the reel's on top. <laughs> Guides are on top. So the rod's actually the other way around. I hate to say backwards, that's not fair to bait caster people. I'm a spin person, so I get it. Bait casters are, it's a tool, and bass guys love it. Mainly because, I think personally, of, of being able to toss things, flip things, under docks, under bushes, up close, close-up work, things like that. In the salt, we're, we're more concerned about getting some distance out of it. We want to be able to cast really, really far, and the spin caster typically will cast further than a bait caster, so there's that. However, don't get me wrong, saltwater guys do use bait casters, especially when they're snooking up against like heavy cover, heavy mangrove. They're in tight, like back in the glades. When you fish the glades, you're in these little creeks and stuff where there's not a whole lot of room on either side of you. So sometimes at that point, the spin becomes a cum an encumbrance. You need to really go with the, with the bait caster so that you can flip um, soft plastics and things like that up under bushes um, and then work it hard when the fish hits because I don't know. I'm a believer. There ain't no small snook back in the Everglades. Those suckers are always big and they're always mean. <laughs> and they're really good at busting you off. So there is a, there's a reason for it, but you know, don't be afraid to use a bait caster in salt. If that's, if that's your comfort zone, if that's like, if you've lived up North all your life and all you've ever done is bass fish and that's the rod you use, then by all means do it in the salt. However, just make sure it's uh, a saltwater equipment. A lot of guys will come down here and bring their freshwater equipment with them, fish in the salt, have a really good time with it, go home, and about three, four weeks later, the finish starts coming off or something bad happens. And let me tell you what, salt is brutal. So if you're going to use, uh, you're going to go with a bait caster, by all means, uh, 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 go with something that's made for salt water. So the rules pretty much apply to the bait caster. Um, same size, six to seven foot is what I like. I don't really, I've never really used a real short bait caster because I don't really do up close with it much. Uh, but friends have told me, you know, it's, it's really the same thing. Um, uh, something that's got a really nice fast tip on it. Something that's got really, it's stout, you know, so that you can fight a big fish, especially if you're in close quarters. Um, and so there you go. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's all kind of the same thing in a way. Um, when it comes to brands, I'm a big fan of St. Croix. You know, I, I'm, I'm not telling you to run by it, but I love them. Uh, I used them when I was guiding. I used them before St. Croix were really popular. <laughs> I'm old, <laughs> but they are really, really great rods. They make a great line of fresh and salt, so you, it's hard to go wrong. And they have lots of different models in between. Um, G. Loomis is very popular here in Florida. Uh, G. Loomis makes a fabulous saltwater rod. Can't, can't beat it. Well, you can, but you can't. You can beat it with a custom-made rod. Uh, and there are a lot of manufacturers down here, and there are people. A lot of tackle shops will have an employee in there who's building outrageously great rods, and, you know, you get yourself a custom-made. There's nothing. I love customs. Um, you get to pick the blank. You get to pick the style you want or the wraps, the colors you want, the way you want it to look, put your name on it, whatever the heck you're, you know, whatever floats your boat. Um 
And you can have it built specifically for a fish that you're going after. You know, if you're a snook fisherman, if you're a snook red fisherman, if you're a tarpon guy, you can have a, a rod specifically built for the species you're after. So nothing wrong with that. The closest thing to a custom-built rod that I found in Florida are rods made by a guy named Fitzgerald or Fitzgerald Rods. And he was known for doing bass rods early on, a lot of bait casters, quality bait casters. And all of a sudden, I'm going to say it was five years ago, maybe longer, could be six or seven years. You know, Time flies when you're getting old. The, he came up with a spin rod finally, and I've got several of them, and I love his spin rods. They are really, really nice. They're very light. They're very fast, and they've got a lot of backbone in them where you can pull a really big fish out of the water when, when you get yourself into trouble under mangroves and stuff like that. So that's another good one to look at. Reels. Let's talk about reels for a few minutes. Um, okay, it's <laughs> this is really tough because reels are almost like show and tell. A couple of things that I have found over the years, and, you know, I'm a fan of the of the you know, the quantums, the pins, there's lots of great reels out there. So there's no way to center around these things and say, this is the one you got to have. Although there are some, you know, and everybody's opinions matter when it comes to this. The longer you fish with a piece of equipment uh, and the longer it's last, you know, in the world of guiding, back when I was guiding, I'm doing 300 trips a year, sometimes more. Sometimes I'm doing doubles during season. Season in Florida is like February, March. Those 60 days, you can do two trips a day. That's 120 trips right there. It's pretty easy to knock out 300 trips in Florida when you get to be a busy guide. You use equipment brutally. <laughs> Your people use it brutally. Everybody does. I mean, it flops on the deck. It catches big fish. It gets salt spray in it. And after a while, you really start to learn what works and what doesn't and what holds up and what doesn't. In my world... I was a big fan of quantum and I was a big fan of pin. I, I use pin a lot. Pin, yeah, it's brutal. It's a brutal, it's it's built brutally. It's great. It really is. It's it's heavier than most reels. It's got a lot of metal in it, which it should have. Um, a great drag system. So a couple things that I watch for is I don't worry about the finish so much. I mean, okay, I like a pretty reel. I'm like every other guy and gal. It's like, ooh, that's snazzy looking. I like that. That looks good. Um, I'm more about the working parts of it. How much, what's the gear system like in it? Is it complicated? Is it over the top? Is it too much to take care of? Um, will it keep the salt out? Will it keep the water out? Is the casing sealed properly? Even if you take it apart to clean it, does it go back together and keep the salt and crap out of it? That That's something I always watch. Drag system. How good is that drag? Kind of munch it down to a point where I can almost stop the line. That needs to happen with some fish. However, how far do I have to run the dial around on the drag to, to get it to do what I want it to do? Is it is it touchy? Is it just too short and too quick, or does it have a lot of room to move that dial? When your heart's pounding, the hair's standing up on your arms, the big fish is on, and he's running for the bushes, your brain doesn't do real well with that drag knob. Sometimes it grabs it real hard and gives it a twist it shouldn't. And on a reel where it tightens quickly, off goes the fish. Game over. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that I look for. The bail wire. That's that little wire on the front that you open up on a spin reel when you cast. Is it strong? 
Look at it. See what it's made of. You can compare bale wires on many, many reels. Sometimes there's a little skinny wire on there, and sometimes there's a piece of metal, a hunk. <laughs> that's what I look for. I want something that's strong. I want something that's not going to bend and break. One of the, one of the, uh, the, I guess, what do I want to call it? The most vulnerable. The most vulnerable part of a fishing reel, in my opinion, is that bale and the bale spring itself. So that part of the mechanism to me is extremely important, and I look for it. The roller. The roller that guides the line onto the reel at the base of the bale spring. Does it have any gaps? Does it roll freely? Is it ball bearing or is it just like on, a, on, a, on an axle? Um, you're using, you know, high quality lines now. Mono, mono has really gotten good. Braid is, I love braid. I, I, well, I exclusively use it. That's all I use on my fishing rods now. And you want something that can handle braided line. You don't want it cutting into that roller. You don't want it slipping off the roller into the edges. You know, that's a certain disaster for a cut line. Um, so those are the kind of things I look for in the reel. Um, price, 100 bucks to start, you know, 120 129 somewhere in there. Uh, yes, there are 59 95s out there. Yes, there are some that are on sale for, you know, they were $109, $110 for less. Go for it. But I have this weird thing in my head. It's like a price range that I would look for. And quite honestly, I've reached the point now where most of my reels are going to be two, over $200, 220 229 You, You, of course, must know you can buy seven and $800 spinning reels. It's, <laughs> yeah, they're out there, and yeah, they're really good. It just depends on how addicted to this sport you really are and what you can get away with uh, in your checkbook. Once again, I mentioned this earlier. Try them. Um, don't be afraid to try one out. See if you if, talk to friends. I mean... Most fishermen have got lots of fishing friends, <laughs> and, they, and they're all opinionated, and they all have equipment. And you should ask them, like, what do you use? What do you like? Is, is, this, is this something that you, that you want to run with? Uh, does it make you happy? Does it feel good when the fish is on? Have you had problems with it? Things like that. So uh, nothing wrong with going out there and trying, trying reels of, that somebody else has. And, again, when you get back to, say, you do a guided trip, and you're really happy, like, this reel is cool. What is this thing? Ask the guide about it. Ask it why. Ask him why he uses it. That's that's probably not a bad idea either. Maintenance. Um, when it comes to rod and reel, the rod, of course, wash it down when you're done. Obviously, especially if you're saltwater fishing. Um, the reel itself is real important. Uh, I guess the best tip I can give you is never blast water into it. Um, you know, if you're using a spray hose to clean your equipment down, don't, don't blast the reel. If it's got salt on the outside, you're just going to move it to the inside. So it's kind of critical not to do that. So I use like a, a light spray when I spray it off so, to get the salt off. Um, and then of course, lube it whenever you can. There's the reels will come with instructions for lube points. Make sure you use them. And then depending on your use, in my case, um, I rotated my reels, my guide reels. Like say I had pins. I'd have a dozen of them. And I'd fish with six and six in reserve. And then I would rotate them. And then about every six months, they would go to the tackle guy, my, my tackle guy. <laughs> and he would do a complete re-lube. In other words, take them apart, lube them, put them back together again. And I'd start the whole cycle over until I literally wore one out. And then I'd have to replace it or two of them. So for the normal user, not a guide, you know, if you fish, if you fished every weekend, that's 50, you know, 50 trips roughly a year. And if you fish both weekend days, you're fishing almost 100 days a year. So keep that in mind. If you're not that much, if you use, if you fish a couple times a month, 
you can get away with a year before you really have to have it serviced. But but by all means, keep that in the back of your mind. Most folks that own reels don't do that. They'll do their own service to it. They'll put a little oil in it. They'll take care of it. I'm not saying you won't take care of it. You do take care of it. But ultimately, the interior or the working part of the reel really ought to be going over. And especially if you've caught big fish or you're a big fisherman, you really are after those big fish. Uh, the drag washers get warm. Um, parts and pieces inside you know, they're put under a lot of pressure and you need to have it checked. You'd be surprised every now and then you'll find a, a cracked gear or something that's just not, or, or a tooth off of gears in there floating around and that ain't cool. Um, so you want to make sure that you do the maintenance on the reels on a regular basis if you can. Some final thoughts. Uh, back to the fishing rods for a second. I fish, I've been fortunate to fish the beaches of the West Coast and the East Coast of Florida and they are a bit different. Uh, I won't say radically different, but they're a bit different. When I moved back over here to the East Coast, back to Fort Lauderdale, I didn't own a rod longer than seven feet. <laughs> when I got over here, I suddenly remembered that, whoa, I'm going to have to go to 11 or 12 feet over here to fish some of the things that I want to do. So long story short, without getting real technical, the West Coast of Florida is walking the beach and fishing right at your feet. The fish on the West Coast of Florida, typically down in the Sanibel, Captiva, Fort Myers Beach area, you know, on south, the the fish that you're looking for are literally in the trough at your feet. They are not way out in the water. They can be if you shark fish at night, but typically, the you know, if you're going for snook, which is what everybody likes to do on the West Coast, beach fishermen do, uh, they're going to be in close. They're going to be in that little bitty trough. So you just use the same equipment, I'm, equipment I mentioned before, seven-foot rod, standard reels, you know, uh, and you're going to cast your artificials or baits right in close is what you're going to do. Um, literally parallel to the beach. I mean, that's how you're going to find them. Uh, going out too far, not much. Uh, so there you go. When you come over to the east side of Florida, to the east coast, the Atlantic coast, you can also do that type of fishing because there is a trough. And fish do run in that trough. The trough just has to be larger and deeper. Uh, so you have to regulate the lures and things you're using to go a bit you know, a bit further down, that trough can be three, four, five feet deep. You know, uh, as you, if you step off an Atlantic beach, you, if you just, you go into the beach and you swim over here, you're going to step in and go right up to your middle. And then all of a sudden you're going to hit a bar and come up a little bit. So it's kind of the same thing on the West coast of Florida, but the West coast to step off is only a foot or two deep. That, that's the difference. But fish do lie in both of those ditches. Now, when runs are going on on the East Coast, we have typically a mullet run or bait runs to, at different times of year. A lot of mullet come through, and the big fish obviously chase them. They can be in or out. A lot of times they are out. They're past that bar that I mentioned. So you're going to have to have a hell of a cast, and that is accomplished by using a rod that's very, very long. Um, I think I have a 10, I have a 10, 11, and a 12 that I use, three different rods. Um, also we use heavy weights when we're doing that. We use those, um, you know, one, two, and three ounce pyramid weights. We use stacked, um, uh, stacked hooks in other words, two and three hooks, um, hanging off the line itself with bait on them. So it's a whole different idea, a whole different rig. A lot of that's for the pompano run. Uh, so when the pompano run through, you do multiple baits. When the tarpon come through, you don't do that, but you still need to get a bait out there, and you're trying not to use big weights if at all possible because when a tarpon run, jumps, guess what? That's right. The weight will pull the hook out of his mouth. Um, so there's a bunch of different angles on East Coast that make East Coast beach fishing much, much different 
and more difficult, in my opinion, than West Coast Beach Vision. So keep those in mind. And at that time, you're going to be shopping for a very, very long fishing rod. Uh, plain and simple. It's, it's, it's just different. That's all there is to it. In a future um, episode, I'm going to cover, I'm going to, I did some fly stuff so you can go back and listen to it, but I'm going to do, I'm going to, uh, I'm getting more interested in that. And it's funny, Florida's change, Florida is changing over time. Um, fly fishing took a real back seat on the West coast keys on uh, East coast for the longest time. There were specialties. There were people that went after bonefish and tarpon and things like that. And the West coast was in my opinion, most lacking of all. Whereas the Keys, people were kind of tuned into it. The East Coast was tuned into it somewhat, but the West Coast, for some reason, it was just all spin. Well, fly is really taken off. So in a future episode, I think what I'm going to do is just cover a great deal of fly information for those of you that might be interested in that. Feel free to email me at any time at catchoutdoors.gmail.com. Um, and I'll be happy to uh, to answer any questions you might have if you just want to email. But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I was gonna go on and into fly rods, but I think I'm gonna separate that out and make a whole different show on that because uh, it's complicated. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend and leave a review. My podcast will continue to be scheduled each and every Tuesday. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network. It's available at Waypoint and by many of your favorite podcast providers. The Facebook page is Catch Outdoors. The website, waypointtv.com and catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy. Enjoy.